Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Mega Strange. It's Saturday at noon. You know what that means. It's a hot new episode of Mega Strange coming down the pipeline to you. We're your hosts today, Derek Acosta and Johnny Big J Little Y Weiss. Little Y? Yeah, capital J, lowercase y. That is how you spell Johnny, correct? Yeah. You don't do a capital Y at the end of the name, right? <laughs> G, 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 J, Y. Oh, you only go by J. You want to go by G from now on. No. G Weiss. No. Uh, sorry. Am I hitting you with some aggression right now? No. <laughs> okay. Just making sure. Sometimes I feel like, um, you know, sometimes I think I'm being funny uh -huh. and I'm just being a rude asshole. Oh, and I'm not aware of it. So I have to check in every once in a while. Just no, to make I was sure just, the vibe is still good. I was just trying to make a joke that like, uh, you missed the letters in between, but I'm also, you know, let's restart this. <laughs> no, we're going to keep it rolling. Don't stop looking at the monitor over there. Look straight into the camera oh, okay. and address the people at home and say what you want to say. Oh, God. Go ahead. Hello, go. people at home. Welcome to another exciting and fun episode of Mega Strange. Uh, this week, I think we are going to tackle the exciting topic of uh, ghostly uh, ships. You're right. You're absolutely <laughs> right about that. You're right Hell on yeah. the money. Fuck um, yeah. I shouldn't curse. Now we have to restart yeah. this. Ah, <laughs> you know what? Fuck it. We're just going to keep on going. Hey, little kids, plug your ears. Frick it, dude. Frick it, dude. F it. We're going to keep it. going. Hey, little kids, you shouldn't be watching this because today we're going to spook the poop right out of your pants <laughs> or into your pants rather oh. because we're going to be talking about the horrific, shocking, fantastic, Tasmic orgasmic topic oh god of ghost ships some people get off on this topic um you know some people out there they're young dumb and full of cum and they just uh -huh. love talking about ghost ships <laughs> we can't curse but we can say that uh c-o-m-e <laughs> come here yeah come yeah closer. come hither come hither um <laughs> <laughs> come hither. Well, i want to meet the people who are turned on my ghost ships i think that, that's my people um mariners uh, oh people in the yeah. seattle seattle washington tacoma area i'm sure the two dudes from the lighthouse definitely yeah i do find that people and shouts out to our fans in the seattle tacoma washington area i do find that people from that area are turned on by spooky subjects like ghosts haunted hotels ghost ships bigfoot ufos what yeah. have you what is it about that part of the country that just stirs the imagination. It's interesting because there are, I feel like there's little pockets of America where paranormal sightings are more often. Yes. The Pacific Northwest around Seattle, around um, uh, Mount St. Helens mm -hmm. and Mount Rainier, uh, the Smoky Mountain area of Tennessee. There's a lot of Bigfoot sightings down there. The swamplands of Florida. Mm. You hear a lot of shit coming out of there. I, I think it, I, I mean. I guess it's just where people are real lonely and bored. <laughs> That and also I was going to say there's I feel like there's huge stretches of like uh, expansive forest and I feel like that like leaves a lot to the imagination because you know you never know what could be hidden. That's true. In the woods. Yeah. I think Joe Rogan said you could drop a thousand tigers in the forests of Washington state and never see them again ever. And that's his argument for why Bigfoot might actually be out there. And he has the money to do that. So. Joe Rogan has money, but what he doesn't have is a uh, strong MMA background like I do. So if he ever <laughs> wants to rumble, uh, which you put your money where your mouth is, Mr. Rogan. Uh, I saw a video on TikTok that made me like cackle laughing for like an hour. It was uh, I think it's a real thing that they do. Uh, sorry, you reminded me because I, I know he does jujitsu. <laughs> it was called car jujitsu. Yeah. And it was like filmed through the hood of a car. And there's these two two guys were in seatbelts and it was like, ready, go. They take their seatbelts off and they start like trying to do jujitsu in a car. It was cracking me up. I think I've seen that video too, but yeah. I don't understand like what the context yeah. of it was. Like, how do you win? A, are you car supposed to open the door and push the guy out I, and then you win? I, I don't know how jujitsu works at all. I, I think it's pin based and like you tap out. I don't know. Well, jujitsu is a martial arts. Yeah. Uh, it's a Form, it's not like there's there's not rules to jujitsu. Yeah. It's just a grappling form of martial arts mm -hmm. where you throw people around. Whereas uh, Kenpo Karate is more like striking. Yeah. Am I intimidating you with my... Yeah. I don't do it as good as Rocco <laughs> because Rocco famously 
I studied, forgot he did that. studied karate and likes to tell people that he uh, knows Kenpo. <laughs> um, and, you know, Rocco will beat some ass. Yeah. Rocco will beat some ass out there. He'll beat you down. He'll beat you up. He'll beat you left and right. He has a pretty strong hammer fist. I yeah. Think. But only if you're asking for it, you know, because he, you know, he also won the Rose Awards, most like Jesus uh, in the group. These are things he would willingly tell you. And I just like to perpetuate the reputation. Yeah. Of our good friend. But enough about him because he's not even on the show. Thank no. you for joining us today, everybody. You mega strangers. We appreciate you being here. We are going to be talking about ghost ships today. And no, I'm not talking about the 2001 hit horror film Ghost Ship. Oh, no. Produced by Jerry Bruckheimer and Joel Silver. <laughs> even though I did watch that movie earlier this week and it did inspire my research for this episode. That's all we're going to go. We're not going to talk about that movie, though. I do like that movie. Yeah. And we were talking about how at the early um, turn of the century, turn of the millennium, if you will, 1999, 2000, 2001, there was a huge influx of like haunted house films. You oh, had dude. House on Haunted Hill starring Jeffrey Rush. Mm -hmm. You had The Haunting. Yes. Starring Owen Wilson. You had 13 Ghosts yes. starring 13 different ghosts <laughs> who I don't remember their names. And you had Ghost Ship, among others. Those are the big four. Those are the pillars of horror. And they all like look the, the same. Like, I feel like they had the same vibes. Yeah, they were all like giant set pieces. Uh, up and coming Hollywood actors. You know, a lot of horror movies are indie movies. So yeah. they use unknown actors. But these movies had well-known up and coming Hollywood actors. And they were very corny. And they were very well lit and yeah. brightly lit and they all seem to be lit with like a reflecting pool there was always like water reflecting on the walls yeah the house on haunted hill starts with like there's the there's like a a scene where they're in this room with a giant ceiling fan so like there's just like giant shadows going across the, the entire scene it's like it's so 90s that's what people thought was well it's 2000 oh 2000 sorry yeah, yeah i think that's what people thought was scary back then yeah. big shadows <gasps> what's that shadow <laughs> oh it's just a fan oh it's just a fan. and then a ghost like uh, drops a piano oh. on you or something. Why is Seth Green here? Yeah. Was he in one of those movies? You might be thinking of the Austin Powers uh, franchise, which was equally maybe scary. Maybe Andy Dick. I don't know. You know, my first encounter with a ghost ship was in the spring of 2003. Okay. Yes. Summer of 2003, maybe even 2004. It was very scary. I was out on the open water. Uh, well, I was playing um, Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. So that's the open water I'm talking about. And I encountered a ghost ship in that game. I was literally going to say the same fucking thing, Derek. Yeah. I, was, I thought you were telling a real story. And then I was going to cut you off and be like, I saw a ghost ship too in Wind Waker. That's so funny. The ghost ship that appears in Legend of Zelda Wind so Waker cool. is possibly like definitely top five favorite video game moments. Me too, dude. Of all time. I had no idea it was out there. Yeah. You know, and I really enjoyed Wind Waker at the time. I felt like I was one of the few people who loved it. It's one of my favorite games from the get go. Yeah, it, yeah. it had a big backlash when it came out because people were not happy that the map was so big and that they were like, you're mostly just sailing. You know, yeah. you go from island to island. But in between that, you're just on the open water for whatever reason. Like, I love that. I'm, I'm a huge fan of open world video games, and I just liked that expansive ocean that you could explore and to me the ghost ship was yeah. the payoff because it was the perfect example of anything could be out here on this ocean and you don't know what you're gonna find yeah there's a and it would only come out at a specific time like the moon had to be a certain yeah way. whenever there was a full moon yeah. in the game you would hear the ghost ship music and you might see it on the horizon i remember seeing it and getting spooked out yeah and then, and then it vanished it was such an immersive experience because after a couple of sightings, I kind of learned to anticipate it. And then I'm like, I wonder if you can get on that ghost ship. You can. And you can. Uh, Wind Waker, notoriously an unfinished game, but I still love it. How is it unfinished? Uh, they were rushed at the end of development. That's why uh, the last few dungeons are really weird. And uh, the Triforce Beast stuff, uh, that was all of them having to rush. Well, I beat it. So oh, me too. It's, I finished it. It may be unfinished, but I finished it. I beat it recently, and the second half is fucking horrible. But I still love the game. I beat it uh, as a kid or a teenager, yeah. really. I wasn't a kid. Yeah, I was yeah. like 17 or 18 when I beat it. So I was legally an adult, actually. But I did beat it at the time, and 
Yeah, it took a it took a big effort to get through it, but you know, what else was I going to play on GameCube? Exactly, you know, it was like the it was the all I had. I it was that and Smash Brothers. I would just go back and forth between them, and I was loving life. One I, of the best eras of my life ever. Thank you very much, Nintendo GameCube. I also feel like every Zelda game, the the second half of it is fucking a slog. Uh, so. I think people are too harsh on Wind Waker. Anyway, yeah. that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> we can talk about how Zelda games are meant to be enjoyed and not beaten. Because exactly. that's how I feel about yeah. literally every Zelda game. Yeah. Played uh, the original NES Zelda for years oh. and years and years and years. Still to this day, I've never beaten it. Yeah. I've logged 10,000 hours on that game since I was a awesome. child. Legend of Zelda 2, the side-scrolling one. No, he- no chance in hell you're beating that. If you, uh, It's funny how that game has aged really well. Uh, it's a, it's a fun game, but yeah. it's just, you know, really hard. Yeah. At the time people didn't get it, but now people are kind of like, Oh, I kind of like, you know, after the rise of dark souls, they're kind of like, Oh, I see what you were, what they were going for, but still kind of dense and hard to get through. Uh, a link to the past. My favorite. And the game boy one, excuse me for yawning. Um, uh, links awakening links awakening. Those ones were very consumable. I feel yeah. like those, those ones you will be. You're expected to beat those. A Link to the Past, I think, is like the, you know, the setup for all modern Zelda, pretty much up to Breath of the Wild. Uh, you know, three dungeons into the seven dungeons. And um, okay, continue. Yeah, so because you do the first three and then you do the seven crystals, and then uh Ocarina of Time does the exact same thing, but in 3D. Uh, but like I said, I this when you have to get the seven crystals, that's when the game becomes kind of a slog. Anyway, continue. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Um, I feel like, you know, Oracle of Seasons, Oracle of Ages, I don't really expect anybody to beat those games. I feel like you kind of uh, give up before you lose interest. And then even um, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, that to me solidifies the era of you can explore this game, you can enjoy it, but it's up to you if you want to beat it because you don't have to complete the story to, in my opinion, get the... 85% of the experience. I'm not going to say the full experience. You do get the full experience when you beat it, but I think you can enjoy that game and love that game and just kind of explore the world without completing the story. And I kind of feel that way about every Zelda sense. Yeah. They, I mean, they reward, I mean, they used to back in the day reward you for doing every side quest and stuff like, uh, when you beat wind waker, I'm sorry, when you beat breath of the wild now, what do you get? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. They don't even, I mean, it's like they don't even expect you to beat it. Like getting fierce deity link in in uh I think it was was that uh uh Ocarina of Time? No. <clears throat> or was it uh, Majora's Mask? Uh I didn't play Majora's Mask, so it, okay. must, it must be that one. Yeah, uh, so Force Deity Link is like you get all the the masks and then you you like they would reward you for, with cool shit if you did everything. Um I miss that. Era. I can hear the uh keyboards being typed on <laughs> furiously in the comments section. Uh people are <laughs> breaking and clattering on their keys. How dare you say you don't have to beat Zelda to enjoy it? You fucking losers. No, I mean I think I think that's real cuz even Breath of the Wild, I don't think you get much out of beating the game. I think you get more fun out of exploring the fucking open world cuz I I rushed to beat that game and I was like I don't yeah, I appreciate the gameplay yeah. more than the story because the story is, you know, it's like this repeating myth. Yeah. You, you go f- collect all these pieces of this thing and then put it together and go fight Ganon and kill him and save the princess. You do that over and over and over again, but what changes is the world, the gameplay mechanics, and that's what I look for. That's yeah. why... I, oh, sorry. That's it. Uh, that's why I loved Wind Waker so much because I felt like it turned a lot of the story elements on its side, like, you know, the stuff with Tetra and Zelda, and then, like, Ganon isn't even, like... You, you kind of learn towards the end like that he he just is sad mostly and he just wants to like save himself and it's like you know you kind of feel bad for him at the end and I love that shit anyway I feel relatable like we relatable about he's just sad and he wants to save himself yeah, yeah, yeah. just like us all all right well 14 minutes is when this episode starts <laughs> if you want to timestamp that in the comments below because we are talking about ghost ships on today's episode. What do you think a ghost ship is? What do you know about mm. ghost ships? Ghost ships, I like to think there's two types of ghost ships. Uh, one would be like, you know, maybe like a, a, like an ethereal kind of spooky version of a ship that sank. That's like, like the Wind Waker. Yeah, like the Wind ghost Waker. Ghost ship. Sure. Or I like to imagine them as like an alien style derelict ship that's just kind of out to sea that doesn't have any anyone in it that's just kind of floating. I don't know if those exist, but I think that idea is very romantic. 
Well, you hit the nail right on the head. Um, Let's go. But there's actually three types of ghost ships. So you're correct that ghost ships of the first kind would be phantom ships, spectral ships. Maybe they're a little bit ethereal. Maybe they glow. Maybe they disappear or only appear at certain times. They are haunted vessels of a supernatural nature. Mm -hmm. Then... Type two, as you said, of which I have come to find out there are an alarming number of these on the ocean. Derelict ships? Derelict ships that are either completely abandoned mysteriously or the entire crew is dead on the ship and we have no uh, knowledge of what happened to them. I find this idea to be low-key terrifying. Yeah. That there are hundreds, if not thousands, of floating coffins on the ocean. Uh, Apparently, in the Sea of Japan, they have a real problem with this kind of ghost ship because so many fishermen from North Korea Mm -hmm. go looking for fish in the Sea of Japan. But that part of the ocean is overfished by the country of China. Okay. China is getting all the fish. China! And there aren't enough to go around. So the Korean fishermen have to venture further and further out from land to find these schools of fish. And they end up getting lost, disoriented, stranded. They run out of food or they're exposed to the elements and they die on the ship. And these ghost ships wash up on the shores of Japan constantly. It's a big problem. Sea life is very hard. Uh, I used to watch a video where this dude would like go uh, sailing by himself. Uh, from like Hawaii to like you know mainland America, and uh, yeah, he he would always say like don't do this. Like sailing by yourself is extremely dangerous. extremely dangerous. Yeah, and he's like I'm an expert and I know what I'm doing. Don't do this. After today's episode, you're never gonna want to go on a boat again because I have some scary stories yeah. that are going to. Uh, if you don't have a fear of uh, being on a boat, I you do. will. In one hour. (laughs) Stay tuned. You're going to make my fear worse. The third kind of ghost ship, Mm -hmm. and this one is really spooky as well. A ship full of people, and this happens periodically from time to time. A ship full of people that vanishes without a trace. That's it. It's not a ghost. It's not a phantom ship like a legend. This is an actual boat full of people that, that we lost track of. And we never heard from anybody again. No wreckage, no floating bodies in the ocean, no distress call, no sign of anything. They just disappear from existence. Like a Bermuda Triangle type situation or? Yeah, but it's not just the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. I mean, I found a story. I'm not going to share it today. Mm -hmm. But one of my stories in my research talked about the ghost ship of Lake Superior. And this was a steamship on a lake. On Lake Superior, that was last sighted in like 1922 or something at 12 noon and minutes later vanished, Uh never to be seen again. Wow. No wreckage was ever found. None of the crew was ever found. It just went to another dimension. That's terrifying. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) It's like the movie So the fear begins. Yes. It's like it went to a black hole, but it really went to hell. So today I have four stories. Count them. Four stories that I want to share with you, two of which are the two most famous ghost ships of all time. The other two are just really interesting stories that I personally found fascinating. Okay. And I'll go through these. Some will be quick. Some will be a little longer, depending on how much detail and historical facts we have about them. Uh, You ever been on a boat? Uh... Yeah, a couple times. I've been on a fishing boat. Uh, I've been on a cruise ship. Um, I've been on a like, what is it? A yacht? What, like, what's the the boat that has like? Oh, for the rich people. Yeah, I went to school with some kid, and he like I remember he called me up to hang out, and he's like, "Do you want to go? Uh, would you like to sleep over on my boat?" And I didn't understand the concept. I kept saying, "What?" He's like, my boat. And I, I kept saying, I don't know what you're saying. And I gave the phone to my mom. And she's like, uh-huh, okay. Yeah, he says he wants he has a boat. And I was like, 
how do kids have boats? Like I was so I was so poor. I was like, I don't understand what, what the fuck this wait, kid you, is saying. You mean you can go into the ocean and not yeah. sink? Yeah. How do rich people do this? Yeah, this kid had a fucking boat. So you've been on the open water. Yes. You've been in the ocean. Did you ever go so far out that you couldn't see land anymore? On the cruise ship, yeah. That's it, terrifying. You didn't like it? No. You feel, I feel, I, I will never go on a cruise ship ever again. Uh, you feel so fucking like lonely and lost. And like, if you're not drinking and partying, like you just like, there's nothing. There's just eternal ocean. And it's just like, you just know if you go down, you're fucked like forever. I don't know. That's your uh, anxiety. Yeah. No, it just nagging you. Or was it uh, was it like uh, everybody on the boat felt this way? I don't know. Maybe it was just me. But imagine not seeing land for like a couple days. Uh-huh. Like it's terrifying. I was just like, oh, there's just nothing. International water. Yeah. Everything's legal. You can have those illegal uh, monkey knife fights like they talk about on The Simpsons. I learned if you fall off of a cruise ship, um, you just immediately get pulled underwater because of all the like waves that are being caused by the ship like you don't even have a chance to like you just whoop, just get sucked under the boat forever that's comforting yeah that's so good to know there's that keep that in mind as i <laughs> relay as i relay some of these stories here you today all right well let's get underway then yes. with the most famous and iconic ghost ship of all time you ever heard of this one it's called the flying dutchman uh yeah from spongebob yeah yeah I think the Flying Dutchman might even be what the ghost ship in Zelda is called. Uh, I don't recall, but yeah, possibly, yeah. Well, it's definitely based on the legend yes. of the Flying yeah, Dutchman. Yeah. Uh, the legend of the Flying Dutchman is a, shi- is a story that goes back to the 17th century. Mm-hmm. So about three or 400 years. Back to the golden age of the Dutch East India Company. Um, you know, there was a time when the powers of Europe, uh, England and, and, uh, the Dutch were, they had these extremely powerful navies and they were sending boats all over the world, particularly to do trading between India and Europe. Okay. So the myth of the flying Dutchman says that, uh, this is a boat that is doomed to sail the ocean forever. Okay. And it can never come into port, no matter how badly it tries. Mm -hmm. Usually, if you see the Flying Dutchman, which is a 17th century flute, that's that's the type of boat, F-L-U-Y-T. I only know about that because there's fluted armor. Well, there you go. Yeah. This is a fluted ship. This is a flute. Long nose. It's supposed to be a bad omen or a harbinger of doom, if you will. So if you see the Flying Dutchman, that means you're fucked. (laughs) Uh, So usually what they say is that when a storm or a hurricane, a really bad uh, storm, hits land, Uh sailors will see this old flute, you know, wooden boat, cloth, mast, you know, trying to navigate itself into the port, but the storm keeps pushing it out forever forever perpetually according to the legend if it's hailed by another ship you know if they pull up and try to hail it the crew of the flying dutchman may try to send messages to land or to people who are long dead you know a, a message from beyond the grave there are reported sightings from the 19th and 20th century of this flying dutchman wow and people, uh, mariners, claim that the ship glows with a ghostly light. And uh, some people say that you have a high chance of seeing this flying Dutchman um, before an oncoming hurricane, particularly like around the coast of Africa. Okay. That's where you're most likely to see it. Just like in Zelda. Just like in Zelda. Yeah. Um. There is a story about the Flying Dutchman that says the crew of this vessel are supposedly guilty of some dreadful crime that was committed in the infancy of navigation. So when um, deep ocean navigation was first being discovered, Mm -hmm. they never say what the crime is, but the whole crew is guilty of it. And they've been stricken with pestilence and have been ordained to traverse the ocean on which they perished forever until their penance expires. 
whatever parents. that means. Yeah. yeah. So they've got to just make up. So basically, this is their own personal version of hell. And, uh, yeah. and we get to witness them suffering until the end of time. It's kind of cute. It's it's kind of badass. I mean, if I if I were to die, I would be into that, like being a skeleton, like piloting a ghost ship. Like I think that's better than like the biblical biblical version of hell. Yeah. Like where like demons are poking you with forks. I'd prefer to just be like. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, being in Davy Jones's crew. Yeah, Pirates yeah. Of the Caribbean. I'm into that. Uh, would you rather haunt be a, a ghost on a ghost ship or a ghost in a haunted house? Um. Probably haunted house, just because I feel like you get to see other people. Like yeah. you get to mess with people. Whereas ghost ship, you're just kind of just like you're lonely. You're yeah, s- you're stuck with the same group of guys forever. Yeah, like, exactly. I'm so fucking sick yeah, of these fucking, fucking guys. Dude. This is my real punishment. Having to <laughs> hang out with these losers till the end of time. <laughs> playing fucking ghost cards or something. I don't know. Yeah, ghost cards. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> hey, y'all want to play a game of ghost cards? Yeah. yeah what else are we gonna do? <laughs> we're here till eternity. Come up with new games. That's the Flying Dutchman. Yeah. It's short. It's sweet. You know, it's awesome. You might see it out there someday. Um, yeah. The keep your eyes open when you have a hurricane about to hit town. Was there like a famous captain or anything of the Flying Dutchman, or is it just kind of a? No, it's, it's really it's really open ended. Nobody okay. nobody can board the ship. It disappears before you get close mm. to it. I think a lot of people out there assume that the Flying Dutchman was like a pirate ship, but it's it's not right. Like it was just a. No, it's a uh, it's a trading ship, but okay. you know it's from an era where pirate ships. Yeah, and a ship is a ship. What mm-hmm. makes it a pirate ship are the people on it, known as pirates. Yeah. So this is just a trading ship. Yeah, I think um, that's super interesting because, like, yeah, I, like I said, I, I always assumed the Flying Dutchman was some like pirate ship. Uh, just well, maybe maybe that's the crime they committed. Who no, knows? I don't think so. Okay, so that's the Flying Dutchman, cool. the most famous ghost ship of all time. The second most famous ghost ship of all time is an actual ship. And I, uh, I, what's the name of that video game where you're an investigator on a boat that came, it was made by the guy who made Papers, Please. Uh, Return of the Oberdin. Oh, yeah, yeah. I believe that that game may have been inspired by this story mm-hmm. I'm about to share now. This is a ship known as the Mary Celeste. Okay. This is a ship. Let me just tell you the story. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you the story, and you'll see what happens as the story unfolds. So the Mary Celeste was a trading ship um, that was captained by a man named Captain Briggs. I don't have his first name here uh, in my notes. And it was owned by uh, another guy with the last name of Winchester. And on October 20th, 1872... The ship was loaded up in on the East River in New York City um, with a cargo of 17,001 barrels of alcohol. Hell yeah. That it was going to sail across the Atlantic Ocean for delivery in Europe. The captain was joined on this journey by his wife and his infant daughter. On Sunday, November 3rd, Captain Briggs wrote a letter to his mother to say that he intended to leave on the following Tuesday. And he put in the message, our vessel, our vessel is in beautiful trim, and I hope we shall have a fine passage. Sounds like he's about to get titanic Some foreshadowing. <laughs> on Tuesday morning, the Mary Celeste did leave Pier 50 with Briggs, his wife, his daughter, and seven crew members as it moved into New York Harbor. The weather suddenly turned bad, suddenly turned bad, and Briggs decided to wait for better conditions. So he anchored the ship off of Staten Island where his wife, Sarah, yeah, that was their first yeah. mistake. That's Staten that's Island. where the curse first hit them. They have good pizza there, though. That's yeah, maybe they wanted to pick up a slice yeah. <laughs> for the journey. Something to remember New York by. While they were um, lodged outside of Staten Island, his, Sarah, uh, his wife, Sarah, used this delay to send one final letter from the ship. Okay. To her mother-in-law. She wrote, Tell Arthur, I don't know who Arthur is. Tell Arthur, I make great dependence on the letters I shall get from him, and I will try to remember anything that happens on this voyage, which he will be pleased to hear. The point of me telling this is some people later thought what happened to the ship may have been some sort of fraud or hoax. Okay. But... By all intents and purposes, based on these letters and the fact that the captain brought his wife, people go, if this was, if he was planning something 
why would he bring his family? It'd be much easier to pull fraud off without having a baby with you. Hmm. He wanted a clean slate, get rid of his family. Keep listening. You'll see what happened. Okay. The weather eased, and two days later, the Mary Celeste left harbor and entered the Atlantic. Okay. Now, while the Mary Celeste was preparing to sail, there was another boat nearby, the Canadian brigantine known as De Gracia. Uh, it was um, lodged in Hoboken, New Jersey. Hell yeah. And it was awaiting a cargo of petroleum that this boat, the De Gracia, was going to sail to Genoa. Mm-hmm. Italy via mm-hmm. uh, Gibraltar. So it has to go past the Rock of Gibraltar. That's down south, southern Spain, northern Africa, that little part of water that leads yeah. into the Mediterranean. That's Gibraltar. The De Gracia departed on November 15th, uh, a few days after the Mary Celeste. And it's, uh, it was actually eight days after the Mary Celeste left. And it followed the exact same route. As the Mary Celeste. Okay. So that's the last time anybody heard from anybody on the Mary Celeste. The De Gracia, Gracia, whatever you want to call it, reached a midway point between these uh, islands owned by the country of Portugal, some Portugal territory known as the Azores. Uh, and in between the Azores and Portugal, at about 1 p.m. on Wednesday, December 4th, 1872, Captain Morehouse of the De Gracia was called to the deck by a helmsman of his ship. They reported a vessel about six miles away in the distance heading unsteadily straight for them. It was on a collision course with them. The ship's erratic movements and the odd set of her sails led Captain Morehouse to suspect that something was wrong. And so he dispatched uh, some men to go over and inspect what had happened. As the vessel drew closer, they could see that nobody was on deck. He received no reply to his signals. And so uh, the men that he sent over were named Devio and second mate John Wright. Uh, they went over to investigate. The pair sailed over in a little boat. You know, they took a little dinghy. Yeah. And as yes, and as they approached this larger ship, they saw the name on the side of the stern, the Mary Celeste. They climbed aboard the ship and found that it had been deserted. Okay. It was empty. The sails were partly set, but they were in poor condition, and some of the sails were missing altogether. Hmm. Much of the rigging was damaged, and the ropes were hanging loosely over the sides of the ship. The main hatch cover was secure, but the fore and lazarette hatches, they were open and their covers beside them on the deck. And the ship's single lifeboat, a small yawl, tiny boat, that had apparently been stowed across the main hatch, was missing. Okay. Uh, the housing of the ship's compass had been shifted from its place and the glass cover was broken. They found that there was about three and a half feet of water in the hold of the ship, mm. which is a significant amount of water, yeah. but not an alarming amount of water for a ship of this size. They found a makeshift sounding rod, which is a device used for measuring water in the hold, abandoned on the deck. Yeah, has a different term, has a different, <laughs> different connotation today. Okay. <laughs> and the ship's daily log in the main cabin, but the final entry was dated 8 a.m. November 25th, nine days earlier uh, than when it was discovered. It recorded uh, that the Mary Celeste position was uh, close to the Azore Islands, about 400 nautical miles away from where... De Gracia encountered the boat. Okay. So this boat had sailed 400 nautical miles since its last log. DeVoe went into the cabin interiors and found that they were wet and untidy from water, um, but otherwise in reasonable order. They found personal items scattered around the captain's cabin, including a sheathed sword underneath his bed. 
but most of the ship's papers were missing, along with the captain's navigational instruments. The galley equipment was neatly stored away. There was no food prepared. There was no food under preparation, but there were ample provisions still left in the stores of the boat. Okay. They had plenty of food, plenty of water. Yeah. No obvious signs of fire, no obvious signs of violence, and the evidence indicated an orderly departure from the ship by means of the missing lifeboat. Deval returned and reported these findings to Captain Morehouse, and he decided to bring the derelict into Gibraltar 600 miles away because under maritime law, uh, any salver could be expected a substantial reward for bringing in a derelict ship, yeah. depending on how difficult it was to return it. So Morehouse divided his crew amongst the two ships. He sent three people over to the Mary Celeste while four people remained on the DeGracia, and they sailed past Gibraltar into Genoa with the Mary Celeste. Upon arriving, the boat was immediately impounded um, to prepare for salvage court hearings. It seems pretty cut and dry. Either like he killed his everyone and tried to escape or like maybe they thought they were going down and they hopped on a lifeboat just in case, like during a storm and then they just got you know lost. That's scary. Well, base, yeah, what you're thinking is what uh, everybody else yeah. thought at the same time, too. Maybe there was some foul play, or maybe they thought the boat was sinking. Yeah. The problem was, there was no signs of foul play. Really? There were no signs of violence on the ship. Mm-hmm. And the ship had ample provisions and was still in good sailing condition. Yeah. The mystery arose. Why would the crew abandon a perfectly sound, well-stocked yeah. ship. Why would they do it? The captain had his wife. He had an infant child with mm. him. Why would they leave? Okay, so some people had, uh, um, some people made allegations that it may have been insurance fraud by the owner of the boat, Mr. Winchester, because the Mary Celeste turned out to be extremely overinsured. But Winchester... Wow, yeah. Winchester was able to refute these claims and they did go to court and nobody was able to bring any credible charges against him. In 1931, there was an article in the Quarterly Review which suggested that perhaps Captain Morehouse of the DeGracia had been laying in wait for the Mary Celeste, lured Briggs and his crew aboard the DeGracia and killed them. Ooh. But... This theory ignores the fact that the DeGracia was a slower ship and left New York eight days after the Mary Celeste and would not have been able to catch up with the boat before she reached Gibraltar. Gibraltar. Yeah, and then also, didn't, didn't they have like logs up to that point that just ceased be- even before? Yeah, but the yeah. theory would be that he could have docked. Oh, uh, okay, that's true. In 1925, historian John Gilbert Lockhart surmised that Briggs slaughtered Captain Briggs, slaughtered all the men on board, and then killed himself in a fit of religious mania. Oh, my God. You know who was upset about that? Briggs' descendants. (laughs) And after speaking with them, he apologized and withdrew this theory in a later edition of his book. Um, Some people have theories about why the lifeboat was missing from the main ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, leading investigators discovered that the rope to the boat had been cut, not untied, which indicated that when the Mary Celeste was abandoned, it was done quickly. Several times in the ship's log, there is mentions of ominous rumblings and small explosions coming from the hold. Now, apparently, at the time in this era of seamanship <laughs> cargoes of alcohol naturally would give off explosive I was about to say gases yeah. um and these sounds are described uh qu- are the sounds that are described are quite common mm-hmm. and so one theory supposes that perhaps one day there was an intense explosion and it could have been caused by a sailor going below deck to light a cigarette or a cigar or something which would have set off the accumulated alcohol fumes. Because remember, there was 17,000 barrels of yeah. alcohol. Causing a large explosion, 
violent enough to blow off the hatch covers, which had been discovered in an unusual position on the deck of the boat. This theory kind of surmises that the captain, in a panicked state of terror, took his family and crew and piled them into the lone lifeboat and cut the rope to set out for sea, abandoning the vessel. That makes the most sense to me. What people say to negate this theory is that Captain Briggs was an especially well-seasoned captain who would not have panicked. He was a courageous captain who would have much rather stayed on the boat than gone off into the lifeboat because he just had the experience to know that the ship, because remember, the ship was found with no signs of fire, with no signs of an explosion, Hmm. And no signs of violence, no blood on the ship. But, so it's just a theory, but there's not much evidence to show that that may or may not have happened. I mean, uh, you said earlier there was like some like a substantial amount of water. Maybe like that explosion happened. They saw water. And then this dude's like, my family's on here. Let's like, you know, wasn't thinking straight and was kind of like, let's go. Another theory says that it could have been a water spout, which is a tornado on the ocean. Okay. That could have hit the Mary Celeste, causing it to become partially flooded, mm. which may have caused the captain to think that his boat was going down yeah. when it wasn't. But these are all theories because the truth of the matter is, to this day, no one knows what happened to the crew or the captain of the Mary Celeste. Eaten by coconut crabs. And nobody ever will know. They probably were eaten by <laughs> coconut crabs. Uh, and that is the story of the Mary Celeste. And that's, that is the most famous derelict ghost ship out there. That's cool. But this next story, I like a little bit better. Okay. This is a story of a ship called Duke de Danzig. I feel like you're going to throw sand into the fire before you. I present for <laughs> the Mega Strange Society, the story of Duke de Danzig. Yeah. Duke de Danzig was a brig that was launched um, in 1808 and went on to become a privateer. You know what privateer is? No. These are, it's like, a, it's like pirates, but you kind of work under the authority of a government. Like freelance pirates. Yes. You're basically <laughs> like a freelance pirate. Um, freelance The police. idea is like you, let's say you're a privateer for Britain. You're not going to attack British ships, but every, okay. everything that's not a British ship. It's free, free game. Hell yeah. Open game. It's like paying the mob off. Kind of. Yeah. 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 It's like a mafia ship. Yeah, yeah. It's like an organized <laughs> crime boat. Yeah. The privateer. So the Duke de Danzig had a reputation for capturing a number of vessels. Generally, they would plunder the vessels and then let the people go. But sometimes they would burn the ships. Um, the Duke de Danzig disappeared mysteriously in the Caribbean in early 1812 and became the subject of a ghost ship legend. Okay. Let me give you an example of what the Duke de Danzig would do. Because there's a record of pretty much every ship it encountered and uh, plundered. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go through everyone, but I'll list two or three here just to give you an idea of how they operated. So on July 22nd, 1811, the Duke de Danzig captured a merchant ship called Lady Penryn. While Lady Penryn was sailing from London to Granada, uh, it took the crew off of the Lady Penryn onto its own ship, plundered all the cargo and wealth from the Lady Penryn, and then set the Lady Penryn on fire and kept the crew captive on their own ship. Oh my God. Um, earlier in that week, it did the same thing to uh, a boat called the Thames. Uh, captured the crew, took all the wealth, plundered it, and then burned the ship on the open ocean. Which, by the way, that's got to be heartbreaking. Like, yeah, you're doing your thing, Matt. You know, pirate like takes you, makes you board their ship, and then they burn your ship. So you, <laughs> that's the moment when you know you're really fucked. Yeah. What it did um, later was later on in that week, a few days later, it captured a small schooner known as the Anne, plundered that ship as well, but didn't burn this one. Oh. Instead, it took all of the captives from the previous two ships, no. put them on this schooner, and sent them on their way. Dude, that's brutal. And the Duke de Danzig went on to continue plundering ships. 
So that's kind of how they would operate out there on the open sea. Uh, the Duke de Danzig and their captain, uh, Ereg Nudau, it's a French name, okay. or European name or something, they were last heard of on December 13th, 1811, when the privateer uh, Gazelle, the name of the ship was Gazelle, reported seeing the ship doing its activities on the ocean. So they're like, oh, we saw the Duke de Danzig out there. Yeah, you know, they were fucking up boats. They were lighting boats on fire. Yeah, we saw him. We saw him. <laughs> but that report was the last time the boat was ever seen. Okay. After that last mention, the ship disappeared without a trace. Now, nobody knows what the fate of the Duke de Danzig was, but the theory is that she might have been cruising in the Atlantic or in the Caribbean and had either been sunk in the night after an encounter with a British frigate or perhaps a tropical cyclone mm. sunk the ship. Nobody knows. But here's the interesting part. There's a sailor of the time whose name was Napoleon Galois, and he relayed this legend that an unspecified French frigate did encounter the Duke de Danzig one more time. But this time, the ship was drifting at sea, covered with dried blood and the putrefying corpses of the crew. Many of them were crucified to the mast of the deck. Fucking badass. Yeah. There were no signs that she had been in a recent battle, no new shot holes, and her sails and rigging were intact. And some blood-stained papers were found in the captain's cabin to identify the captain as Francois Aragnadou. Uh, they say that the French frigate was so horrified by the sight of this putrid, dried blood-covered, corpse-crucified ship that they set it on fire. Right there in the open ocean. You're making me realize that there could be a good Silent Hill game based on like boats and stuff. Ghost ships. Yeah, like ghost ships. Like just seeing like a, I'm imagining it more uh, uh, sinister than what you're saying. Like, the whole, I don't know. Crucifying the, uh, yeah. the crew to the mass of the ship sounds pretty sinister. Like to me. I imagine the whole boat is made out of flesh and it's just like, like slowing through. And so it's said that they gave this ship the same fate that it gave to so many other ships and they burnt it in the sea and the ashes sank to the bottom of the ocean. Imagine when they set on fire, it like made like a like a wailing like, just like oh like something like that. And like ball lightning starts emanating <laughs> from the center of the boat yeah, as yeah. it like collapses into itself oh, in some so sort cool. of like sea time black hole. That'd be so cool. For me, this story uh caught my attention because I was going through a lot of ghost ship stories, mm. but this is the only one, as far as I know, of a blood-soaked ship with the crew crucified to the mast yeah. on the deck. Um of course, it's just a legend, so. We don't know. Maybe we'll see it again sometime out there. I hope so. So my final story here, the final ship that I want to talk about is another real life ship. And this one is a harrowing encounter. This one will actually give you chills. This is the story of the SS Valencia. Okay. Uh, the SS Valencia was a steamship that was built in 1882 um, and uh, took her maiden voyage in May of that year. It was um, sold to the Pacific Steam Whaling Company in 1898, so about 16 years later, and it was transferred from the East Coast all around Cape Horn, so it sailed around South America to come to the West Coast, where it would be used to um, service people between San Francisco, California, and the then unincorporated territory of Alaska. So okay. it would go between San Francisco and Alaska. It was built to be an East Coast ship, and it did not adapt well to her new surroundings. The Valencia was not a well-liked ship among its Pacific Coast passengers. It was regarded, they always refer to boats as she, so yeah. I'll say she was regarded as being too small and too open to the elements. So it's just kind of a deck, you know, with not a lot of covering on it. 
That's weird that that would be fine on the East Coast and on the West Coast. I, I mean, like, maybe, I don't know. That's confusing to me. I don't know either, but yeah. um, I think that this particular part of the West Coast is an especially treacherous place to sail. I bet. It's a lot of um, underwater rocks that are not very deep. Okay. And so you have to really be able to maneuver well. Mm. And there's a lot of like storms and swells, yeah. especially as you head up towards Alaska. So this boat was just kind of fucked. It was actually classified as a second rate passenger vehicle. <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't first class. It was second class. Um, and the boat only had an average speed of about 11 knots. So it was a short boat open to the elements not very maneuverable, and kind of slow. During the winter season, which was the rough sailing season, the Valencia mostly spent her time sitting at the docks of San Francisco and was only used as a backup vessel. Well, in January of 1906, the Valencia was temporarily diverted to the San Francisco-Seattle area to take over for another ship, which was undergoing repairs. The weather in San Francisco was clear and the Valencia set off on this journey on January 20th at 1120 a.m. There were nine officers, 56 crew members, and at least 108 passengers aboard. You know where this is going. No. In the early morning hours of January 21st, the weather took a nasty turn and visibility became extremely low. And strong winds started blowing the Valencia around and blew it off course. The crew was unable to make celestial observations because the fog was so thick. And so they were forced to, deli- uh, to rely on dead reckoning to determine their position. Okay. Basically just feeling it out. Yeah, that's not good. No, it's not good. <laughs> they were out of sight of land and there were strong winds and currents and the Valencia missed its entrance into the Strait of Juan de Fuca. I think that's how you pronounce that. I'm going to assume so. This is the area of water that is between America and Canada. Okay. It's a little strait that leads from the ocean inland to the bays in that area. This is also an extremely treacherous place to navigate because, as I mentioned, the underwater rocks and yeah, stuff. Yeah. You need depth charts to know where you're going. They missed the entrance completely. Shortly before midnight, January 22nd, the Valencia struck a reef 11 miles off of Cape Beale on the southwest coast of Vancouver Island. Did you read a book about this? No. Okay, because I remember you telling me about a, a book you were reading that was based off of a real derelict ship or something. That is a totally different book. Okay. That's that book is my favorite book of all okay. time. Yeah, yeah. It's called The Terror. Yeah. It's based on the HMS Terror. That is a boat that tried to sail through Antarctica. Okay. And got frozen into the ice. Yeah, because I was remembering something about Antarctica and I was like, damn, like I don't know. Look that up later. Yeah, yeah. The Valencia struck a reef eleven miles off the coast. Immediately after the collision, a large wave lifted her off of the reef. And crew members reported a huge gash in the hole in which water was pouring rapidly. To prevent the boat from sinking, the captain ordered the ship to be run aground. It's better to be stuck on a reef than to sink to the bottom of the ocean. And so the Valencia was driven into the rocks again and was left stranded there about 100 yards from shore. So they were inside of shore, football, yeah, yeah, yeah. football field away from the shore. This is where the shit hit the fan. In the ensuing confusion, all but one of the ship's seven lifeboats were lowered into the water against the captain's orders. Mm-hmm. He told them not to do this. Yeah, yeah. And they did it anyways. All of the lifeboats were improperly manned. Three of them flipped while being lowered, spilling their occupants into the ocean. Oh, oh no. Of the three that were successfully launched, two of them capsized and one of them disappeared. Never to be seen again. They were so close. Dot, dot, dot. Remember that one that disappeared. Lifeboat number five. The scene at the wreck 
was horrific. And one of the few survivors, the chief freight clerk, Frank Lean, gave this recount later on mm-hmm. talking about this moment. You want to know what he said? Sure. He said, screams of women and children mingled in an awful chorus with the shrieking of the wind and the dash of rain and the roar of the breakers. The passengers rushed on the deck, but they were carried away in bunches by huge waves that seemed as high as the ship's masthead. So they're stuck on a reef and the waves are crashing over them, washing them off into the ocean. The ship began to break up almost at once and the women and children were lashed to the rigging above the reach of the sea. It was a pitiful sight to see frail women wearing only night dresses with bare feet on the freezing rat lines, trying to shield children in their arms from icy wind and rain. Rat lines are the rope ladders that connect the side of the ship to the top of the mast. Oh my God. You know, those, those triangular rope ladders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the women and children were clinging to those rope ladders. They were in their nightgowns. They were barefoot. Dude. They were screaming. Only 12 men made it to shore. And of those 12 men, three of them were washed away after landing. It was, it was a terrible storm that night. So the remaining nine men had to scale the cliffs. And when they got to the top, they found a telegraph line that strung between the trees. They followed the line through the thick forest until they came upon a lineman's cabin. And from that lineman's cabin, they were able to summon help to yeah. come uh, save the ship. So there was a rescue effort that was launched. Mm-hmm. Three ships were dispatched to rescue the Valencia. The largest was a passenger ship called the SS Queen. And then there was, was a salvage steamer called Salvor and a tugboat that went by the name of Tsar, like a Russian Tsar. Yeah, yeah. Later on, a fourth steamship called the City of Topeka would come from Seattle carrying doctors and nurses and medical supplies and members of the press and a group of experienced seamen. But this would come a few hours later. The city of Topeka was the big rescue ship. But at first, it was just those small three boats. On the morning of January 24th, the SS Queen arrived at the site of the wreck. But it was unable to approach the Valencia because of the severity of the weather and the lack of depth charts. They didn't want to run aground either. Yeah, yeah. So they just had to sit and wait and watch. They realized that it would be impossible to save the, to save the ship um, approaching from the ocean. And so the other ships were set off to bring a rescue party to the land because they were only 100 yards away from the shore. And they tried to launch an overland rescue party. Upon seeing the SS Queen arrive, the crew of the Valencia, they're like, we're saved. They're here to save us. They launched two remaining um, life rafts. But the majority of the passengers decided not to get on the rafts. Because they had presumed that a rescue party would arrive soon. And so they decided to stay on the Valencia. Approximately one, after the, uh, one hour after those life rafts were launched, the city of Topeka, that fourth big steamship, arrived. But just like the Queen, the SS Queen, they were unable to approach the Valencia. So those people who were waiting on the boat for a rescue, that rescue never came. Uh, the Topeka cruised around for several hours, uh, trying to find survivors and they were able to pick up one of the life rafts carrying 18 men. No other survivors were found. And when the sun set, the captain of the city of Topeka called off the search. The second life raft eventually did drift ashore. Just side note, it drifted ashore to Barkley sound and there were only four survivors of this raft and they were taken in by the first nations people and taken to a nearby village to recuperate. Okay. Nice. When the overland party finally arrived at the cliffs above the site of the wreckage, they could see dozens of passengers clinging to the rigging of the ship and the few submerged parts of the Valencia's hull. They were holding on to the ship as it was like falling apart. But not long after this overland party arrived to see this, the ship's lone smokestack collapsed. Just like in Titanic, it fell over. Oh my God. With the smokestack being the last full part of the ship that was offering protection to the people on board, the waves were now able to completely wash over the Valencia's deck unimpeded, leaving the survivors at the mercy of nature. Without any remaining lifelines, however, 
There was nothing any of the rescuers could do to help the survivors. And within hours, a large wave washed the wreckage of the Valencia off of the rocks that it had been stuck on Mm. for about a day into the ocean. The remaining passengers drowned, were beaten to death against the rocks, or clung to the wreckage as it was swept out to sea, never to be seen again. Estimates of how many people died from this sinking vary. Some people say that at least 117 people died. Others claim that it could be as high as 181 people. According to a federal report, only 37 men survived the wreckage of the Valencia. Every single woman and child on the boat perished. That sucks. Rip. Rip rig. Remember lifeboat number five? The one that disappeared? Uh Uh-huh. Well, in 1933, 27 years later, it was found floating in Barclay Sound. Full of skeletons. Interesting that you say that. It was not full of skeletons. But hold on to that thought. Remarkably, the boat was in really good condition. Much of the original paint was still remaining. The boat's nameplate is now on display to this day at the Maritime Museum of British Columbia. Okay. But, Johnny, six months after the sinking of the Valencia, a local native fisherman, a guy by the name of Clainwa Tom and his wife, they reported seeing a lifeboat with eight skeletons in a nearby cave. I was right. The mouth of the cave was obstructed by a large boulder, and the cave was reported to be about 200 feet deep. There was no definite explanation for how the lifeboat got into the cave, but it's believed that a high tide was able to lift the boat over the boulder into the cave's mouth. Mm -hmm. Due to the dangerous waters around the mouth's cave, uh, the lifeboat and its human remains were not able to be recovered. But local fishermen similarly reported seeing lifeboats being rowed by skeletons of the Valencia's victims. So there Man. are reports yeah. of lifeboats being report, uh, rowed by skeletons. <laughs> there are those reports. Hell yeah. But what's even creepier is that the 37 survivors of the Valencia they were put on that ship, the, sea of, uh, the city of Topeka, and they um, engaged in a voyage back to Seattle. While they were on their way, some of them, and, and people from passing vessels as well, say that they could see within the black smoke exhaust from the city of Topeka's funnel a replication of the Valencia, which to me is... Kind of whatever. Yeah. This is just part of the story. <clears throat> so I'm reporting it. The smoke looked like the ship that had sank. Okay. But while the city of Topeka was steaming into port with its survivors, supposedly a ship approached her, passed close by, and hailed the city of Topeka. And to the horror of everyone on board, it appeared to be the Valencia but the crew on board were skeletons. And the phantom steamer was heading on the same course that the real Valencia was on. It was heading back to those rocks. It was on a path to crash again. Oh, God. It said that the, the phantom Valencia hailed the city of Topeka. The boat was called City of Topeka. And this was a chilling experience for the passengers of Topeka. But after the phantom Valencia sailed away, the Topeka continued on with no other incidents. In 1910, a few years later, there were reports from sailors who had claimed to see a phantom ship resembling the Valencia uh, near the place where it sank. These sailors report 
witnessing waves washing over the phantom steamer as human figures held on to the ship's rigging for dear life. And this uh, phantom ship was reported for several years following the disaster. They'll never find rest. That is the story of the Valencia. And that's uh, all four of my ghost ship stories today. Awesome. Thank you for sharing those. Those are great. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, (laughs) don't worry about it. No biggie. And thank you guys for tuning in and watching us. Did you like those stories? What do you think about these ghost ships? What do you think about derelict ships in general? Have we changed your view of going on a boat? I, for one, have always assumed that going on a cruise or taking a ship into the ocean was a pretty reliably safe endeavor. But now I am thinking twice about how safe it actually is to travel out into the ocean. I don't trust boats. I don't trust planes. I don't trust cars. I don't trust people. Yeah. The only thing I trust are dogs and roller skates. (laughs) Mm. Well, uh, that brings us to the end of today's episode. We hope you enjoyed those stories about ghost ships, myths, and legends. And some real ghost ships as well. Do you have a theory about what happened to the Mary Celeste? Leave it in the comments below. What was your favorite ghost ship story today? Which ship do you want to sail on? Let us know in the comments below. Oh, just real quick. I just wanted to bring this up before we uh, end here. Uh, My Twitter account got hacked. Yeah. So uh, if you guys Johnny's bringing this up on every social media platform and every recording he possibly can. Uh, So if you want to be a homie, uh, please follow my new account at Johnny Weiss 64. I'll put it on screen. Uh, If you want to be a real homie, why don't you follow the Mega Strange social media as well at Mega Strange 666 on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram at Mega Strange podcast. Mm. And yeah, you know what? Follow Johnny's new Twitter because um, we got to get his follows up. Yeah. Because, you know, he's really upset uh, that, <laughs> that his Twitter was hacked. Yeah. It's, yeah, like, yeah. A, it's like a daily uh, downer. Yeah. Every time he looks at that hacked Twitter, you know, he had like 17,000 followers. The new one has like 2,000. Yeah. And uh, we got to get we got to get him back on top. Make him the king of Twitter. Make me the king of Twitter, please. Yes, please, please do it. Hey, those are our stories for today. So we're going to get out of here. We hope you enjoy your week. We'll be back in just one week with some more strange stories of the paranormal. Until next time, stay strange, everybody.